Limited Mileage. Yes, it's true. The rumors are true. What rumors have you heard? They're all true. Everything you hear, everything you read, the slap, the missiles, all the things. Hey, everybody. My name is Greg Hoy. This is my podcast, Limited Mileage. I interview creative folks, entrepreneurs, makers, doers, friends, soon-to-be friends. No enemies yet, I don't think. How are you? My guest today is, it's unfair to call him a guest. He's one of my best friends. Steve Sutherland, uh, an entrepreneur, a drummer extraordinaire, musician, artist. um, Makes a really good cocktail. And it's interesting. I talked to Steve sometime in mid-February, but I've seen Steve since recording this podcast and also... I've seen Steve since recording this intro. Um, I'm fortunate that, uh, unlike some folks that I've interviewed, uh, I get to hang out with him in real life fairly often. He lives in Minneapolis. Uh, He is partially responsible for me having a cabin in Minnesota, which I am eternally grateful to him and his lovely wife, Beth, for helping with... Anyway, how are you? I'm on about my fourth cup of coffee. And um, I switched to half-calf during the pandemic because I was going bonkers. And I've just kind of stuck with that. And now I have uh, some issues because I got bit uh, by a tick. So I have this coffee I buy that is mold-free. Mold-free. Mold free. I think that was a Jimi Hendrix song. And what I didn't know, and and why would you? Why would I? Why would anyone? Is that when you start to have immune responses, sometimes your whole body holds on to things. And one of the things my body is holding on to is mold. So I have uh, a bacteria growing in me, and I have mold growing in me. It's like my body uh, is just a generous, uh, open host. to all kinds of warm, disgusting things that aren't necessarily good for it. Uh, it's, I believe it's called Good Coffee. I think that's the name of it. I don't get paid for that. I just really like it. Uh, it's delicious. So what's going on in the world? How is the stress, everybody? Uh, let's see. This, you know, the newest thing, a couple things happened. Um, I want to talk about Taylor Hawkins, which I'm sure Steve and I would have talked about had we recorded this since his passing. Um, I think the reason, and for those of you that don't know, he uh, was the drummer for the Foo Fighters uh, and also fronted a couple of his own bands, which I uh, enjoyed uh, Chevy Metal was a, a a covers band, which I particularly found uh, interesting. But he had just been doing a new project with Dave Navarro of Jane's Addiction and Chris Cheney, I believe his last name is, also now in Jane's Addiction. And it was good. And he, Taylor, had was singing and playing drums in that band. Um I wouldn't say it was epic, but it the, you could tell that it was three 
three musicians sitting in a room making songs together. And I'm always a fan of that. Um, and I think the reason so many people have been outpouring uh, with unexpected sadness for his passing is that he was kind of living this ultimate rock and roll dream. He was a huge music fan. And, and by the way, I'm not speaking for him. I think this is just based on my and other people's perceptions. He landed in a band, as he has said, I'm going to paraphrase, with the best rock and roll drummer in the world. He was the drummer behind the best drummer. Um, and just a very gracious person and 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 had, uh, I believe the word is shoshin. I might be screwing that up. And I believe the word means a child's mindset. It felt like every time I watched him and I only saw him live twice with the Foo Fighters uh, interviews, he seemed to still be coming from a learner's mindset. And I think consciously or subconsciously, people that were aware of him in the culture, they felt that. They felt that about him. And you couple that with dying at the age of 50, which is extremely early, and then you add in, you pepper in the drug use and potential, you know, how that contributed to his early death. And it's it's just sad. It's just a, a sad thing. And it makes it extra sad that the Foo Fighters were finally back on tour. People were finally back in rooms together and in, in arenas together to, to have com communion together. And like them or not, Foo Fighters are the pinnacle. I don't know, should I say were the pinnacle uh, of that uh, thing that we we crave and that was lost for these last years during the panda pandemonium. So I think it's extra, it's an extra sad moment. But I think the learning is uh, cherish, you know, we're, none of this is guaranteed. No day is guaranteed. Um, we need to tell people we love them anytime we think it i've certainly since some things that have happened in my life i am adamant about i over text now sometimes i think of somebody that i haven't talked to in a while, i just send them a text hey how you doing i was thinking of you today um i have as as my close friends will attest i have crazy dreams and oftentimes my my friends are in those dreams and i will text them a synopsis of those dreams uh the day after for example i have a good friend I had a dream last week, and he brought Al Pacino to meet me in my dream. This was a dream. Al Pacino came to meet me, and Al Pacino had what can best be described as a wine glass, but the stem of the wine glass was a good foot long. It was about 12 inches long. It was just a giant, but still thin. And I, I introduced myself, and Al said hi. He was very nice. And I said, can I get you uh, a, a stemless wine glass? I'm afraid you're going to break that because I have a, I, in my dream, I knew I had a, a toddler and I didn't want her running into Al Pacino and breaking glass or spilling wine, both. I mean, I just met Al Pacino. Scarface. And he said, sure. So I took his wine glass and I poured it into a stemless wine glass. And as I was pouring, and I swear to you, this is what happened in the dream, as the wine was going from the 12 inch slash one foot long stemmed wine glass into the stemless wine glass, as it was pouring, Al Pacino himself started shrinking. He was getting shorter and shorter and shorter until he was about the size of the actor Peter Dinklage, the height of the actor Peter Dinklage. And I said, Oh my God, 
uh, I didn't know this would happen. And he said, without missing a beat, that's Hollywood for you. So there's a, there's a little insight into the kind of dreams I have uh, about my friends that I then text them. And most of them are uh, reply with gracious responses in those moments. I guess my point here is don't stop dreaming. <laughs> anyway, uh, music. Me. Uh, going on tour in May. We had a great show uh, this past weekend here in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, in San Francisco at the bottom of the hill. I have a fantastic new drummer I'm playing with. Uh, she's joined the tribe of uh, the bands. Uh, her name's Genesis. And she was fantastic. And we both were so tired at the end of the show. I realized... It's been a while since the rock and roll has been played live. I have to get my stamina back up. And she agreed, which was great because she's uh, infinitely younger than I am. So that felt kind of good. I'm like, okay, you're tired too? Good. I don't just feel like a middle-aged wasteoid sitting on my couch eating Cheetos, which I've never, I've never really done that. But uh, Going on tour in the first week of May here in California – as a five-piece band, first time ever, my dear friends uh, from Pittsburgh days, Paul and Tom, are flying out. My good friend uh, Nate here in the Bay Area, he's going to play. And then, of course, David E. Richmond, uh, drummer extraordinaire, flying in from New York City to join the festivities. So I'm very excited about that. And I'm very excited for you to listen to this conversation between me and Steve Sutherland. Dun, dun. Limited mileage. Hello, and welcome to the Limited Mileage Podcast. I am here with my dear, dear friend, Steve Sutherland, who is in a very balmy 14 degrees in Minneapolis. Hi, Steve. Hello, Greg. How are you? It just dropped. It's 13 now. Oh, 13 degrees, ladies and gentlemen. 13 degrees in Minneapolis. <laughs> Uh, Steve, I'm, you know, I've been better. I've been a little sick. Uh, I'm actually drinking in your honor tonight. I don't really drink that much anymore. Cheers to you. Cheers to you. Oh, that looks good. You should have filled that up before we hit record. This is an OF. <laughs> well, there's, you know, I can always run upstairs and did you see, I don't know if you saw, I was, I was stirring this wine with a wand earlier. <laughs> I did not see that. So I have this thing I had to. So I, cause I, I got bit by a tick and, uh, so my immune system's all wacky. So I bought these things that you stir your wine with and it supposedly takes the histamines out. Really? Yeah. Let me show you. It looks like this and it's basically a tea bag. Okay. And it has filters. What does it have? Electronics? Yeah. No, it's this company. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's all AI. Uh, it's this company. It's actually made with ticks, believe it or not. No, this, this, this the company serum of ticks. This, this father son company, I guess, is, I don't know. One of them had problems with wine histamines and they invented this thing and supposedly, and I used it last week for my birthday and it did seem to, I didn't feel bad the next day. Of course, mm -hmm. I think if you only have a few glasses of anything, you're probably fine. Sure. Let's face it. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, Steve, uh, thanks for doing the podcast. You know, I've, um, I actually started this podcast, uh, the summer that we stayed with you, uh, for what seemed like six months. <laughs> yes. Airstream and tow with the Airstream, but our history goes back farther than that. And Steve, for those of you that are listening, Steve and I have a rare, uh, a rare thing where we both have equal parts advertising media and also being musicians in our life which would that would that does that sound about right i think that's fair 
So, yeah. for example, uh, Steve uh, is a, a a brilliant musician, but also he mm. can uh, he can talk the pants out of selling you something. Is that right? Talk your pants off. <laughs> <laughs> but we all of a sudden things took a comfortable meeting. Uh, Steve and I met in Boulder, Colorado, in 2010. Yes, working at an ad agency, Crispin Porter Boguski. Hmm. I don't. Yeah. Know, I don't know. There's probably people that may listen to this that uh, know Crispin Porter Boguski. There's probably people that worked at Crispin Porter Boguski. Hopefully. Yeah. So you were there a few years before me. You got there. I forget the timing. Oh nine. Not a few years, but probably not that long then. No, I, I guess um, maybe August of oh nine, something like that. About a year. And I think what's crazy about that is when I met you and your lovely family in your awesome house, boy, did I love that house. It was a good it's, one. It seemed like I'd known you forever. Yeah. Well, and we had, um, you know, we, we were working in the same large building together, but we, I had heard about you and that you were a musician. I was looking to do some playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there was, there was some time that went by that, um, you were an enigma until a chance, uh, sort of meeting, if you will. That was Shay, Shay, our good friend, a mutual friend, Shay took us out to lunch. We went to a buffet restaurant. It was a, yeah, it was a strange sort of, um, like a, a gift store flower shop. You know, I think probably got, got a, you know, a potato salad sandwich on white bread. Remember, it's a, it was a strange place. That whole area was very strange. Um, gun barrel. Gun barrel. So, yeah, we, we, it was sort of a, a blind date. You it know? was. Shay knew what I was, you know, up to. She knew what Greg was up to. And uh, I don't know if we had even talked before sitting down at, you know, flower backed chairs made of wrought iron. Um, <laughs> A glass table, and uh, and I we just kind of were checking each other out, you know. It's like, yeah. you know, what kind of music do you like? <laughs> yeah, what we were, what kind, what kind of guitar do you have? There was uh, I one of the it I was, was calling one of bullshit the, until we it, started talking. <laughs> it was the most 90s slack, <laughs> I don't believe you, bullshit meter conversations. <laughs> So, oh, what do you play? Yeah. How many strings are on that instrument? Yeah. (laughs) Do I buy this guy? I'm not sure yet. I remember, but I remember you said, you were talking about Minneapolis. I was like, yeah. And then you, I forget, you name dropped someone, but you didn't mean to name drop. I don't remember who it was at this point. But I was like, it was someone that wasn't, it was someone that the fact that you knew this person, I'm like, oh, okay. uh, This guy knows what he's talking about. I remember (laughs) it. Might have been a producer or someone. It wasn't like Prince. It wasn't an easy. And yeah. then I was like, okay, I think this guy, I think, I think he knows a lot. Of, he has knowledge. This man has knowledge. I think we left the lunch, the luncheon with yes. Shay. Yes. Um, knowing that, you know, we should probably, you know, now test the waters of actual, you know, the, the musical in a room, amp lights on kind of thing. And we did. And the rest, as they say, was playing our real estate open house. (laughs) 
Yes, we did. <laughs> and, and a few parties where the cops came, as I recall. The slurry bombers. It was the, the year bombers. there were many fires in them hills. And, Boulder. That's right. And Boulder. And you'd have uh, large retired aircraft flying over your house, uh, dropping yellow, no, blue, uh, red slurry. It was red. And so... I just couldn't believe, I still can't believe that we were able to get the slurrybombers.com, which I think is long gone, but... Um, we don't have that it, anymore? We don't have it. But we did. We had we had fun playing as a two-piece, uh, mainly a couple times as a three-piece with... <laughs> I forget his name. No, no. The, we had a good bass player for a few shows um, who I am still friends with on Facebook. Uh, Jeff, I think his Jeff. name is. Jeff, yes. But we did do one show with another bass player. Who was, I don't remember. We played, it was the back of an auto dealership. <laughs> yeah, <so laughs> and that had, particular person whose name escapes me, I think he forgot every song. We were fairly well rehearsed until, <laughs> we weren't. It, until it was time to go. And I don't think he remembered a note, but it was fun. It was well, still a very fun, interesting first. That was our first show. I think the fun thing about you and I is uh, we had done, we we sort of uh, cornered the market on uh, cover show Christmas parties, mm -hmm. which we continued after you moved back to Minneapolis. I moved to California. Uh, I flew out there, God, what, six, seven years ago. We did, I remember that that wonderful party we had at your house. I think the uh, the thing that I have enjoyed about our friendship and also our musical connection is it never, I never, I lose track of time. Like I, like we met like 12 years ago, but here we right. are and we're just like, oh, hey, here we are. Yeah. Well, in that Colorado thing, it was a very short lived time. And I remember when you were headed West and I was, yeah. I was bummed out. We had just, you know, we had this thing going and, yeah. and it, uh, I was thinking it was two years plus, and you said recently that it was a number of months, which yeah. is sort of amazing. Um, one yes. one show I did want to just mention, my favorite was playing uh, upstairs at the bar. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, I forget that, West End or whatever. And, and Tavern. Or and we went off on sort of a musical adventure, and, and Greg, you <laughs> were singing only lyrics from the subtitles of a news program so the tvs in the bar That's you know right. were subtitled and and those were the lyrics to these songs that were playing i thought that was quite fun the audience was in on it which made it fun yes yeah and we were wearing tennis outfits i think too that was your reason. idea was it my idea i think it doesn't yours. matter yeah so i so i that brings me to the reason i wanted to talk to you today oh actually okay. it's funny funny you mentioned that mm -hmm. i hate playing bars with television sets. <laughs> yes, as do I. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and moreover, I hate playing bars with television sets that they leave on while I perform. <laughs> and televisions that are repeated every four feet. Such with the that same there's, shit. Yeah, on every... There's 12, 13. Yes. No, that's... We didn't have the, the clout at that point. We did weeks later <laughs> to have them turn those off. So or the 45. The Right. shot at him. <laughs> uh, have you been to Graceland, Elvis's uh, childhood home? I have never been Real to home. Graceland. He has a basement uh, at Graceland, and he had at the time, which was pretty extraordinary if you think about the 60s or whenever it was, about 12 televisions, much like the bars, uh, that he would tune. Apparently, he had a remote that would, someone made him a remote that he could 
ch- every television, you watch all the channels at once. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that would be just incredible. I, I think it's funny, you know, as, you know, a person of my age going there, I thought, I was like, oh, this is pretty interesting. And then, you know, you see the kids that are on the tour with me behind me and they're not impressed at all that there's 12 televisions in a basement. Right. Yeah. It's, yes, that's a problem. <laughs> it's a problem that they're not uh, moved by that. And also that Elvis had so many TVs. Well, uh, you know, you got to wonder, you know, yeah. what, what that does to a guy. Yeah. And there was no unified remote at that point either. So you've got a, there's a lot to manage. A lot to manage. What, uh, what's your favorite Elvis memory, Steve? Do you oh. have a favorite Elvis memory? A favorite. Like, can Good you, Lord. can you go back in time? Are you caught in a trap? Uh, that's, that's an interesting, uh, question. I don't even have an answer for that. It's okay. We can come back to it. What's your favorite, uh, non Elvis memory? My favorite memory of all time. Is that what you're asking? (laughs) What's your favorite memory? Um, I was about six maybe. Uh, and I picked up a Verdi bird for Christmas. A what? A Verdi bird. Could you describe that for people like me that don't know what it is? Yes. So this was, um, it was a functioning helicopter with a prop that um, you would, with toggles, you know, tip and and adjust the speed of the the propeller. Got and it. You could actually fly around. You know, it was it was on a a metal bar, but you could pick up things. Got it. Um, it was, and I just remember that the smell of the styrofoam. Um, and later in college, a roommate of mine found one. And so I was able to sort of revisit that just wonderful smell. Was this, this is like a famous toy, a popular toy. It was for children um, of a certain age. Yeah. Yeah. I think not a crazy popular toy there. Just an, just an amazing toy that really, really, you know, has made a mark such that you asked me my favorite memory and that was it. That's actually very interesting. I've never heard of that. Uh, I, I have now. I'm having toy memories myself, which I'm not going to explore. What? Um, so, college? Do you have? Is it in your dorm room? Like, where did you have this device? Uh, no, this was at a house. Okay. Um, and yeah, he brought it home one day. I'm not even sure we had talked about it, but I think we must have Got it. shared the love. We we're of similar age. Yeah. And all of a sudden he walks to the door with a birdie bird. Yeah. That was, was it a birdie second, bird? Second favorite memory. Birdie um, bird? A birdie. I believe it's a, a V. Bird. Vertical, probably. Got it. That is, yes, that makes sense. Yeah. Now, would you uh, say to women at other parties, would you like to come back and see my birdie bird? Uh, I did. Uh, and it was successful. <laughs> <laughs> 80 to, yeah. 80%. I don't know. I I, could look, I graphed it out. We can take a look. <laughs> I, we need to see what the... Can we see the data around the Verdi Bird success rate? Come back and see my... Uh, <laughs> you know, my when I was in college... We know back when I was in college, <laughs> I had a six CD changer. So, uh, Yeah. That. Yeah, I do this thing now, and I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I clearly it's just a thing to say, and I, I maybe you can add to it. I find myself, especially in work situations where pretty much everyone's younger than me uh, on oh, yeah. some level, mm-hmm. 
I find myself uh, changing dates, like years. Mm-hmm. On so, purpose? So, for example, I might say something like, well, you know, back in the 2000s, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> when, when in my mind I'm like, well, back in the 90s. Yeah. I don't know. Right. Is that something you do now that you're of, of a certain age? No, but I, I like that. Right? I def- I'll definitely do that. Yeah. Well, you could say back in the day. It just, that feels a little. Oh, that, old, yeah. Like you're like. Oh. Madlock. Yes, Matlock. <laughs> Which I call Madlock. Yes, Matlock. Madlock. Right. I mean, I, I can go back. We can talk about Quincy. Remember Quincy sure. and D? Hell yes. Here's one. Here's one of my favorites. My dad Chips. loved this show. Rest his soul. Rockford Files. Yeah. Did you remember oh, yeah. the Rockford Files? I do. Yeah. I mean, I've never watched a ton of TV, but my my grandpa did. And so I remember the Rockford Files and he would watch a lot of wrestling. Wow. And then he would, um, whether he meant to say it or not, he would, he loved Harsky and Shark. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> that, that somehow I'd watch that over Starsky and Hutch. Right. Harsky and Shark. <laughs> it sounds like a great bagel place, actually. The I'm, locks. You got to check out the locks at Harsky and Shark. <laughs> Have you tried? Like, get right. the everything. Get the yeah. everything. Yes. Why didn't no. you watch a lot of TV? Was that a choice? Was that like you were forbidden? Like, how did that come out? Were you just interested in other things? I think mainly interested in other things. I like watching movies. Even today, I just, I don't watch that much TV. Like where um, you turn it on and you're like, what's on? Uh, no, I never. You seek out something specific. Maybe, maybe on a Sunday morning, you know, some of those shows you might pick up something on, you know, Chris Stapleton, you sure. know, or, or whatever. But um, for the most part, no, I'm, uh, you know, my wife, Beth will, will, you know, we'll start maybe a show together, and after the first show, I'm I just never sort of come back to it. So, Got it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's I like the uh, it's kind of strange actually uh, for someone in you know the business that I'm in and yes. sort of the, the visual arts, um, but I think there's plenty of other visual things to explore. True, and I always um, it all always kind of find myself um, more satisfied doing other things so i'm i have a basement full of you know musical toys um and you know sometimes i feel like uh you know time is has escaped me if i'm if i get sucked into a a show and you know a series i watched you know the first the initial twin peaks great and you know back back in the day yeah. You know, the, the, the log lady, the whole deal that that's something, you know, here and there I'll, I'll get into a, get into a show. But for the most part, I'm not a very good, uh, uh, series mate. I, along those lines, it's funny. You, you sparked a memory for me. I remember being at a guided by voices show in New York city in around 2003, 2004. Mm. And at that point I had seen guided by voices a dozen times easily because they were touring often. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was in the back and I was bored and I wasn't bored because of guided by voices. I was bored because I realized I didn't want to waste time going to shows as much as I wanted to start making more music myself. Yeah. It was like, a, it was a moment I had and it was, it was to say, well, I want to work hard. So maybe I could be on that stage more, you know, instead of right. going to it. And it was interesting because, and maybe this happened to you. Like I felt like I had learned everything I needed to learn 
to try working on it for myself. And I maybe it's different. Television is its own, you know, time suck. Um, but I do think that's interesting. And it kind of goes back to this idea of, you know, like I love being at your house. There's a there's a relaxed atmosphere. And, and I've been at your house so much in the last few years. And I, there's no TVs anywhere. And I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's not to say that they're not there. They're just typically not on. We'll have, well, you know, I they don't just don't. Them. Yeah. Um, but even at the, you know, if I'm, yes, uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, there are, there are times when, uh, you know, up North, for example, sure. uh, we have a TV that, uh, others use. And when I arrive, that's just part of the first thing I do is to remove that TV. I don't, I don't really, yeah. um, I don't, I, I don't think I'll use it again. Movies are a different thing, you know, right. but, uh, you know, I think one of the one of the reasons you know I mentioned just kind of music and um, you know just spending more time downstairs doing whatever. Um, I think it's part of sort of making something, and yes. I I can't tell you how much time I spend not making things, mm -hmm. but um, you know rearranging, um, you know changing some gear out, changing strings, just kind of. There's there's something um, enjoyable even if not creating. Yeah. Um, but I do think that there's nothing quite like a song. I know you know the feeling. Yeah. That you you stay up late. You're not sure what it is, and it it may or may not be something that you know you're you continue working on. But just the satisfaction you get from from creating anything, and I think a, a lot of people feel that waking up the next day. Um, you know, feeling a little, you know, out of it, a little tired or whatever, but knowing that you created something and being excited to, you know, go and check it out. Um, and that's, I don't know, that, that's a feeling that, that I think is, um, you know, I, I, I would like to, uh, find more often and, and that's something, you know, that I, I guess I see as a goal to have those moments where you're creating and excited to re-examine it the next day, the next morning, whenever that is. Do you have um, stuff you forgot making? Oh, yeah. I, sometimes I'll find something that just is a date and an MP3 or a wave, and I'll listen to it, and I'll be like, I don't even remember when I made this little whatever. It probably took four hours of my life. Right. But but the act of making it was what mattered. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's it's fun to revisit, and there's, yeah, there's, you know, those a lot of those times... Uh, you know, the, the memories come back as to where you were. And a lot of it's kind of silly. And I, as a drummer, right. um, all of my, uh, I always call them, uh, like drummer, drummer songs. Um, you look at, you know, Stuart Copeland or some, you know, he, he, um, look at who I missed that Stuart Copeland. Oh, Stuart um, you know, Sorry. say it's, you know, the rhythmatist, the, his record, the rhythmatist, it's right. a, a lot of it is sort of a repetitive groove, um, you know, Rumblefish that he did that repetitive. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, you know, I call those drummer tunes because I think drummers have a hard time, um, you know, in general, sort of, you know, getting to the next thing you fall into the groove and, you know, yeah. the hitting a chorus for me is not, is not something that I, you know, can do easily. And a bridge is just completely out of the question. But so I do these, you've heard them, they're these little snippets that I'll, yep. that I'll put together. And um, so I have a bunch of snippets. That's snippet. drummer snippets. Yeah, you know, it'd be fun. You should send me some snippets and then I could add to those snippets. I, I just bought a PC 
Wow. Well, so here, I also bought, I bought a PC, but mm-hmm. the reason I got the PC, there were two reasons. One, I try to shake up my brain and I thought it would be good to like, I, by the way, I hate it, but um, <laughs> just for the record, but I, some it, time. I, uh, I love the program acid. Do you remember acid? Yep. So I used to work in acid all the time in the 90s, uh, a couple back years in the ago day. and, uh, back in the day. And I wanted to start working with it again and, and get more into like, you know, I have my record, I have my whole DJ set up here. I want to do more sampling. I want to do more loops and stuff. Uh, and that's one of the things I'm going to do with my stuff. So if you want to, we could share some snippets and see what happens. I, I, I look at it. It's going to be more of like a weird electronic collage type thing. Yeah. No, I, I would love to share snippets with you. Uh, Every time we work together, something good comes out, which I like. Well, I think one of the last times you were here, um, uh, we both wanted to, we made our way to the basement. We did. And Not always you easy. said, let's play a four bar groove, uh, you know, melody groove, yep. maybe eight, no more than eight. And let's play it for, I think it was 10 or 15 minutes. That's and let's right. not let's not do any, any fills, any variation. And we just kind of, you know, it was like, yeah. That was and fun. Th- I think a timer was set. Yep. And and we just laid into it. And we yep. weren't we weren't laughing. We weren't even smiling. We were like, and that that's uh that was a just a, a fun exercise. And you feel, you know, you feel the grooves feeling good, and then all of a sudden they feel not so good. And then they come back to feeling good. And at the end, we're like, all right, the, the little timer went off and we went back upstairs or something. I think it, too, I, I think we didn't record it, right? No. That's the key. I think that you need to, I miss that. I miss interacting with a musician without any device on to capture it, which, and I was just talking about this, uh, this week with another friend of mine. You know, we grew up during a time when recording was like the thing that was special that you worked up to. Mm-hmm. Like we rehearsed, like, God, I, when I lived in Pittsburgh back in the day, <laughs> my band and I would rehearse three, four times a week for hours. Yeah. Yep. And there was never a device that would record us until we were like, maybe we should record. Right. How, I mean, this is a question I have for you because I know, you know, your son's also a musician, a producer. And he's coming up in this whole different world where people come up with shit as they're recording. Like the creative recording process is happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you look at the, I don't want to say the word quality, but how do you look at the differences in having the tools available to you so quickly uh, as far as inspiration goes? Because I, mm-hmm. I, I have my own opinions on it. I'm just curious what you think. Yeah, it's a, it's a, real mind um masher yeah um and that you know you can look at garage band for example with a bunch of preset grooves and um ableton um you know etc cetera, etc cetera, and fairly quickly um uh, make the wrong interpretation of the power of those tools and the creativity um that's embedded in those tools um and yeah, I mean my um, my son Harris, uh, he he works. He's all about Ableton. And at first, it you know he left um, after he graduated high school and took off. You know the the kids, um, both he and and my daughter Thea, 
you know, they had taken some lessons, um, some drum and guitar, but, you know, they were leaving the house to kind of, uh, you know, start their, their lives on their own without like a, a musical, uh, you know, an instrument background. Right. And then all of a sudden they're both doing different things. And, um, um, and it's just, it's such a different, uh, framework. So I've come to really appreciate, um, you know, the, the, the power of presets and things like that. Sure. And I even, even in the way that I work on things now where, you know, the thought of, um, you know, again, recording to two inch tape, whatever right. size tape, you know, typically, um, that was, those were continuous takes and, yeah. um, you'd get in and, you know, edit with the razor blade or, or, you know, whatever. Um, uh, and now, you know, I think, coming up through kind of seeing what's going on in music and, and I think artists being honest about how they use technology. Um, it's freed me to, you know, record a bunch of, um, record for a minute and a half, same groove, and then yep. go in and find the best, um, you know, 15 seconds or something. Right. Um, whereas previously, you know, the thought of using, you know, it was using Pro Tools as a tape machine because, of right. course, you can't, you know, cut things up because that's cheating or something. Right, right, right. And now, I, I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, it. however you need to, uh, whatever tools you need and however uh, you need to, to create, whatever your process is, is, is fair game. I like that. I, I think I agree on the whole and for the most part. There's this idea of incubation and I suffer from this as well. For example, when I'm making a song, I'm recording like as I'm writing still. Mm -hmm. Now I might have end up with three or four different versions. But <laughs> for me now, I think it's more about I don't want to forget this. Right. <laughs> like and and again, I mean I talked about memory earlier and I think that is a tricky thing, especially when I think about how many songs that I grew up with that other artists made. We can talk about anybody, Beatles, Rolling Stones. And that repetition, I can sing those songs, you know, like nobody's business. But by God, that song I wrote last week, I don't remember the lyrics I wrote. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the melody I came up with. Um, and I think, you know, if I were to make a wish for myself sometimes, it's that I want to spend more time just sitting down, especially, and, I, and, and I'm, I'm strictly talking about the singer-songwriter approach to writing. Mm -hmm. I want to spend more time, which I started during the pandemic, writing songs with just a guitar and getting to know just the melody and getting to know the lyrics so that when, when I'm ready to record it and when I'm ready to make something that's like a, a, a lasting imprint of it, whatever that looks like, I know the song more inside out. Right. And I, and 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 to me that's when I talk to especially younger artists, younger producers, younger people, they they seem to like they want to talk about that process. Like that seems to be a novel thing for them to 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 incubate to to iterate all the eight words uh recreate limited knowledge. So I think that's why it's interesting when you when you talk about these tools because like yeah, I'll listen to some stuff that's like brand new that like some somebody did on their laptop and I'm like that sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that's what I can do. It's something I can't do, really. I've, 
I don't think that fits into my aesthetic. I think what I'm trying to do now for myself is become more, I want to have more of a relationship with the things I'm making that I know I want to, that those things that I want to keep going, like the things that I want to proliferate. I'm not talking about the snippets and the shit that I never care about again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, one of the problems with, again, I, I use the word problem. It, it right. isn't necessarily a problem, but the things that are, are pre-built into these programs sounds so good. Right. So, so you can, um, you know, fairly quickly get something together that just really is, you know, again, it sounds good. Mm -hmm. If you, um, record that sort of thing with a couple mics in the basement, um, you know, it's not going to sound that good, um, right. w which is more real. Um, you know, it, it's, it, uh, yeah, I haven't really sussed it out in my head. Um, they're, right. they're, they're just such a different thing. And then you look at the hybrid of those, you know, those systems, you know, where you're using, um, you know, drum machines, in the background of real drums or, you know, whatever yep. it is. All the layers and yeah. Here, so here, I want to say this along these lines because this is, uh, I had a moment this week. I, I, I'm now renting a small cottage uh, behind a music school in the next town over. It's, it's minimal, but it's like a little, you know, 100 square foot. It's like a shed, but it's a real awesome. wooden cottage. And, you know, I have, uh, I have an electric piano, I have a guitar in there. And I am so, I've, I, have, I have a whiteboard, I have tons of paper and pens. But I am so used to getting a good take the first time I am working on a song that I have been unable to just sit down and write, which is why I have the fucking place. Mm -hmm. Because I'm constantly thinking, oh, I need a different mic or all oh, that other mics back at my house. So I'm still fighting that battle with myself, even though that's the reason I got the space was to just yeah. go sit sit and and meditate on the music right and, and that yeah. to me is it's a little scary to me because i have that i have that ability i have that background i have that history and i'm having a hard time jumping into it right yeah what, do you have any tips do you have any tricks like <laughs> uh well both of you both you and i have um you know some toys to be able to record. Right. Um, and, and I think, you know, just the, the process of recording, the history of recording. And, you know, you go from, you know, I'm looking at a drum set that, you know, you could have literally, uh, you know, the thought of having, you know, 15, 16 mics on a drum set isn't out of the question when you look at room mics and, you know, close mics, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, but then you hear, um, you know, I've been getting into uh, this Blake Mills guy. Yeah. Um, who, yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, the, the production that he's done. So Alabama Shakes, that sound and color record. Oh, um, great. The, record. the production, I had no idea he was involved with it. I didn't really know a lot about him until more recently. Yeah. But um, just the expanse of that mix is just absolutely beautiful. And the, the creativity behind what they're doing. And the, almost the entire record, the drums are right up the center, mono, maybe one mic, two mics, yep. you know, two, whatever. Um, and to me, that's, those are the moments where it kind of throws everything out the window, the, you know, your beliefs and what you need and this and that. Yeah. Um, so 
I don't know, I could talk, you know, you've got sort of the multi-dimensional nature of things where you're, you're writing in the cottage in the shed. Yeah. Um, and you have a mic and you're, you're, you know, you're thinking about the tech, um, and then, you know, doing it right and things like that. But that, that recording, um, Chris Whitley dirt floor, I think is yeah. a great example of, you know, one mic guitar. It's just, yeah. it sounds amazing because it's yeah. a nice, nice mic, but just the simplicity of it and the emotion that comes out, you know, yeah. even if it's a shitty mic, it's still, um, it's the song, it's the vibe. I think you also, uh, for me, and I don't know if you're like this, I can find any reason not to do something. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah. I don't, uh, I, it's funny. You said that I realized wood shedding, uh, I, yeah, I want to go. be wood shedding. Yeah. I got a wood yeah. shed to wood shed in. What, yeah. um, so I, I love the space you have in your basement. I, I, I talk about it all the time with my wife, uh, with, you know, how much work and care you've put into wiring it and, and sound. Um, what would you say is, I guess, the hardest thing to parse out when it comes to not having a separate space? When you know that like where you, you know, where you sleep and where you cook is also where you want to create. And I'm, I'm asking this selfishly because I've gone back and forth over the years um, I read a great as an aside, but also I read a great thing about Nick Cave, and Nick Cave said his studio is like 200 feet from his house. Mm-hmm. But every morning he gets up and he showers and he shaves and he puts a suit on before he walks to the studio. Yeah, love it. And I'm curious how you make that transition, um, you know, to get in the mindset of creating when it's all kind of one thing for you. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I would love you know, to walk out to the garage and, and work there, but it's 13 degrees right now. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I think that kind of that delineation, uh, makes sense through, you know, the pandemic, there weren't a lot of choices. And I, um, even thinking about another space and bringing things to that space, um, I have such a connection with my basement. Yeah. Um, and even, you know, sitting down and reading or doing whatever down here, um, it's strangely very comfortable with sort of my, my instruments and, and things around me. So you don't ever feel like, ugh, it's just right there. Uh, if anything, I just, I, guilt isn't the word, but I, I should be much more prolific with the gear that I have. I think, I think that's, I agree with that. I feel that all the time. Like, I think, e- well, we're in slightly different life stages as far as children. Um, and I, uh, my windows are different now. Um, I remember reading an interview with Tom Petty and he talked about like how you, you have to let the muse into the room, something along those lines. Like the idea that this thing just like lightning just strikes you at any time is bullshit and you have to sit down and do the work and and see if see if things flow through you. And I always that always resonated with me. And 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 in in good moments and good times, I think I, I'm pretty good about like chunking my schedule uh and saying, Okay, here's two or three hours that I'm gonna dedicate to whatever I want creatively. Uh it could be mixing, could be rec- writing, recording, whatever. I'm curious because you know you also work out of your house as I do, and and I want to talk about uh, your new company, uh, manufacture, um, which is also not a new company because I know you had it before. Um, mm-hmm. 
how do you strike a balance, you know, knowing like I'm sitting talking to you, I know you're at your desk, but it's also where you create music, but it's also where you take a Zoom call. Uh, and I'm asking this for me too, because I'm very similar. How do you, uh, how do you kind of delineate between the worlds? Yeah, it's, I, that's a good question. Um, and it, I think it relates to what I said previously, where if I'm on a Zoom call, I really like the fact that my drums are over there and my, you know, guitars are to my left. Right. Um, and I think it, that in a sense, um, you know, it's especially during, you know, the, the past couple of years, it's sort of wonderful to be able to, you know, get off the call and, and just, you know, switch gears and do something completely, yeah. you know, completely different than, um, than the work thing. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, I think it's, it's a mindset. I was, when you were talking about, you know, uh, you know, preparing or, um, you know, working on a tune and, you know, honing it, I yeah. think you were, you were, you were saying that I, I was thinking about, um, you know, people like, you know, acts like say the Rolling Stones, just to yeah. throw it out there where, you know, they would get together and they would just jam. Um, yeah. and you know, there's, there's so many examples, obviously. And then you, and then there's people like, you know, in looking at a process like, um, Jackson Brown, you know, mm. there was one of those movies where, you know, he was driving his neighbors crazy because he'd play the chorus a hundred times, you know? <laughs> Look, so, I, I want to, I just want to be honest. When I hear a Jackson Brown chorus, it drives me crazy <laughs> the first time. Right. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Moving on. Yes, please. <laughs> Different ways of doing things. Yes. Well, and you're right. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, the idea of gratitude and wow, how wonderful is it that you can jump off a call, you know? Um, but there's creativity in what you do uh, with manufacture too. I mean, talk, talk to, talk to the audience about, you know, I love that thing you did a few years ago. What was that band that you did that thing with? Polisa. Pol Policia. Policia. I mean, that was, you know, talk about uh, just an interesting uh, idea of where you can take creativity, but talk a little about, you know, what gets you excited to, to have this company that's, to me, it's very related to making a song in some ways. Yeah. Uh, and live music. I was kind of thinking about, yep. um, so I, this, this company manufactured something I had uh, late 16, um, 2017 and just kind of got it off the ground. And then, uh, I don't know, a little less than a year later, I started talking to another agency and, and went in that direction. And now, uh, what is it? Four and a half years later, yeah. um, I've fired it back up again. Um, the, the project with Polisa was, um, just briefly, it was, uh, there was a, a metal, uh, shredding company, uh, Northeast Minneapolis. And it was loud and, and, uh, there were high levels of lead coming off the, the metal that they were, they were shredding, uh, old, you know, cars, dishwashers, whatever from, you know, times past. And so the, the Minneapolis pollution control agency is measuring this high levels of lead. And so we, um, you know, the neighborhood, um, and, um, you know, the areas around the shredder, you know, were already well, uh, organized, um, 
you know, to sort of combat and, and um, try to get, you know, this shut down because of, they were, they were lying about the lead levels, things like sure. that. Um, so, uh, another creative and I, uh, Phil Harder, who's an amazing, actually music director, um, uh, put together this project. He, in fact, lived on the river uh, directly across from this metal shredder. So we put together this project that that um, had the band Polisa coming in on a on a barge um, and docking at Phil's uh, dock, and we started a concert, you know, with with Polisa. So it was kind of a neighborhood. Uh, gathering celebration for the work that had been done and um, and you know you know focusing on the problem bringing everyone yeah. together yeah and as as things you know as darkness fell we blasted light across the river uh, and hit the metal, sh- metal shredder uh, the side of the metal shredder so we had slides talking about the pollution that was happening arrows at different parts of the plant meanwhile wow. people are within the plant you know working while this is going on so we're thinking we're going to get shut down so you have contingency plans if you get shut down it turns into a you know PR event you have people with cameras all over so you know that <laughs> I loved that, um, you know, similarly to music and playing music live, especially where you just go with it. And, um, you know, one of my, you know, a favorite time on, you know, when playing music is, is when things go wrong. Right. And, and just the, you can kind of, um, in a sense, gauge sort of how long people have played together and their comfort level when things fall apart and they just kind of make them, you know, come come back to um you know back to the hole again somehow and i yeah in theater and whatever it is i always like those moments but anyway that um that project was um you know that was sort of the highlight of that first run of manufacture yeah um uh, it was kind of experiential base yeah. um now it's changed a little bit yeah i was gonna say what's different about this new sort of rebirth revival Re, re reiteration remix yeah well i think i learned that first of all uh, an experiential uh content company production company really has a hard time in the in the on you know, the midwest it, it's all happening on the coast it <laughs> happens all year round it you know are you saying uh, weather is involved weather can be involved so if you have the, the Our opportunity can't see you but you're actually in two jet two jackets and a and a and a beanie cap, <laughs> right. even though you're in a house. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, that's true. There's shirts, not jackets, but the, you know, yeah, They're it's thick. just kind of thick. it's it's cold here. It's comfortable, but the um, yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna you know put on an event, you're in Venice Beach, you're at the you know, right, et cetera, et cetera. So um, you know, this time around, it was it was sort of an obvious thing. I just really like the experiential um, event kind of space. But now it's a, a manufacturer is a content production company. So I have a partner and he's a director, DP, uh, producer that we've worked together for years now. Great. Um, and actually, while we were, this is now many months ago, while we were employed, um, I had an uncomfortable call, you know, on a, it was a Friday and I just said, Hey, John, are you, would you ever be interested in, in, you know, maybe splitting off and doing something on, you know, <laughs> and I wasn't sure what the reaction would be. Of course, you know, it could be the end of, you know, 
everything. But um, I said, let's talk Monday. And we did on Monday. Talk about it with your, you know, your wife. And Monday I said, so what do you think, John? And and he was he was into it. So we, you know, we've talked about it for a while. And finally, um, in the last, you know, couple few weeks, we're at the point where we're now both full-time uh, with manufacture and and we've done some jobs and and we're just it's kind of a blast being um, you know, creatively uh, engaged again, I yeah. guess, uh, is what, what I would say, at least personally. You know, there's a famous quote I like to say at these times, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. There you go. Um, there's nothing better than working for yourself as someone who's done it for the last four years, working with a part, a great partner. I have a wonderful co-founder too. I, I get hit up a lot by people, especially in the last year, I would say, who want to do their own thing. They want to, they, they'll, they'll be like, Hey, you're, you're successful. You're making it work. Um, there, you know, there's a lot of big questions that I talk to those people about. Uh, I'm curious, you know, as you've done it before and now you came back to it, what is the differentiator for you between, you know, 2016, 2017 and, and now like what, what has changed to make you say, cause I mean, you and I, I'm, I'm kind of, <sighs> I'm bullshitting a little because you and I have talked a lot about this and just in our life together, but I'm curious if you can kind of capsulize like what made this the right time. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, um, you know, part of it is just wanting to have more control over your life um, and, and creative life. Yeah. Um, just, you know, there were, you know, you're busy with work. You're, there's a lot of, you know, calls and things like that. And, you know, I, I just wasn't, you know, I, I guess I was feeling sort of creatively compromised mm. um, and that, you know, you're, I was, you know, very happy to have employment, of course. Um, yeah. But knowing that there was, um, you know, an alternative to what I was doing, kind of similar vein, but yeah, just having, you know, being able to call the shots a little bit more. Um, yeah. Also, wanting to, uh, you know, have more time for music and, you know, sure. all, all those kind of things. Not that I didn't, um, but again, I, I think there's sort of a, there's, there's a creative, um, uh, you know, depleting is, is too heavy, but, sure. you know, I, I think, you know, you need to, you need to engage yourself. You need to, uh, you know, what am I looking for? You need to, to you, you want creativity to flow into your life and not out of it. So, yeah. um, you know, I think that's, that's maybe uh, the reason why I wanted to have more control. Limited mileage. I think that I, I, I agree with all of that. I think when I think about it for self, um, I, th I mean, the word that's coming up right now for me is efficiency. And uh, having worked for so many people, so many companies at this point, uh, you just see so much leakage. Like you see great talent just dying on the vine. You see money being wasted on things that don't matter. You see uh, busy work, however you look at it. And what I think I have realized over the years, it's, and I'm sure you... Uh, Similarly, I don't want to speak for you, but you make choices to go work at places depending on where you are in life and what you what problems you want to solve. 
there's times where it's uh, how nice is it after you've been freelancing, struggling for years, especially me in my 20s, early 30s. It was nice to get a paycheck every two weeks. It was nice to settle into some sort of routine for better or worse that allowed me comfort in the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Putting that aside, once you unlock that without, how do you unlock all of that stuff without the need to uh, have a boss? It's kind of huge, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, the people that I know that have made that successful transition, they're looking at it the way you're looking at it, which is your creativity will flow. You have to be a creative person uh, and 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 tap into the creative mindset to to even own a business because there's going to be stuff that there's going to be a bunch of stuff you have to figure out for yourself. There's right. there's no YouTube video that's going to explain uh, how do I keep this client happy even though I hate this person and he's paying me a lot of money. Like there's no there's 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 so much. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Nuance. There's just a lot of nuance. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, when you look at efficiency um, and just, you know, I think our having somewhat, uh, you know, whether it's, I don't think we're control freaks, but, you know, as as creators, <laughs> control freaks, I like that. <laughs> it gets, it, it's more difficult to kind of witness things that could be done, you know, like you said, much more efficiently, right. um, done done differently. Just, you know, again, just kind of do it really well and move on. Yeah. Um, and in certain environments, you see things just kind of being, you know, the uh, creativity, the, you know, whatever messaging, whatever it is, just, you know, it just gets, com- it's becomes a ludicrous um, endeavor sometimes. Yep. So, so I think, um, yeah, the ability to, um, you know, parse out what, what is, imp- I, I forget the question. What were we talking about? I want to tell everyone that both Steve and I are have fidgets in our hands. Like he has some sort of <laughs> is that like a Play-Doh type thing? Yeah. I have my red squishy ball <laughs> on this hand. And then on this hand, I have uh by the way, this is a promotional item from a pastor. It says standing on the rock, and it's shaped like a rock, but it's actually a squishy toy. But it comes back to shape. Yeah, quickly. it just comes back to shape. But I keep these by my desk when I have conversations. Yeah, and and that's a you know that's a good question. What do you do to stay sane during this time of struggle? You know, this is a struggling time for people. Um, I got my squishy balls. I exercise. <laughs> I'm a big exercise guy. Yeah. No. What's, it's what's your release? Uh, I think exercise is always amazing. You, yeah. you you always feel better after you do it, but it's hard to do it. <laughs> right. It's hard to commit to it, you know, and you don't want to necessarily. But um, yeah, these, it has been very interesting uh, for, you know, so many reasons. But it, a lot of it does come back to, um, you know, for me, the, you know, the music, you know, I've yeah. got, I've got a problem. I've, you know my problem. I've got. You do. You do have a problem. I, I have. Bring it up. Yeah. Your wife, your wife asked me to bring it up, but I didn't want to bring it up. <laughs> I have. Um, you have a gear problem, Steve. I do. I do. <laughs> You're right. But it all, it all, uh, it, it just, it, it does sort of keep me grounded, actually. So I, I love, um, you know, I love obviously playing drums. Um, but but I've been playing a ton of guitar and um, yeah. yeah you just yes 
I think, yeah. Um, I agree with you. I think that there's some people may not understand the idea of being able to just reach for an instrument and you have to have many of them around you or reach for a, a fidget spinner or, or reach for something that's going to help you maintain the moment uh, when, you're, when your mind is wandering. And I, th I think mm -hmm. that's, uh, you know, I think you and I maybe came from a time period where we were sort of, I'm going to say this, it's going to sound really pretentious. We were kind of trendsetters in the idea that you could do a bunch of different stuff. Like mm -hmm. kids growing up now, it's all about do everything, you know, jack of all trades. Don't master any, you know, don't, don't self-identify however you want to self-identify. I came from, you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher. You know, there were these like lanes, there were these boxes that, that everyone was trying to put us in. And, and I was just talking about this with our good friend, the monk today, oh. you know, the, the idea of being the rebel and when you're the rebel, but you're also, uh, you know, committed to certain things, how you have to find places for rebellion that work for you, you know, and, and maybe the, the rebel that I was, isn't the guy that's sleeping on couches, you know, getting in a van doing that stuff. And how do I replace that? I don't know. Do you, does this, any of this resonate with you, Steve, or have I lost, have I lost T you? Tell me more about the rebel. <laughs> well, well, so for example, I'm going through some health problems and I can only eat mm -hmm. certain things. I can only drink certain things. And you know, like I was walking by a restaurant today and they had a sign out front and it said best burger in the East Bay. And I saw, I, and I can't have red meat right now. I just can't, I can't do it. And I thought to myself, you know what? Fuck my doctor, fuck the tests, fuck my health. I want to taste the best burger. And it just, it was so strong. It was such a strong impulse. Like it was, it was as real as anything for just that split second. Mm -hmm. But you, you fought it. I had to fight it. Well, I had to fight it for this idea of a, of a, of a bigger reality. Right. You know, I don't know where I'm going with this. I feel like, I feel like in the iPhone generation, the smartphone generation, everything seems to be available all the time to people. And I'm wondering if the downside to that is no one knows what they want. Yeah. Yeah, earlier I was thinking about um, you know capturing, for example, a song on a little app. So there's there's tons of little apps to capture little snippets. Got it. So it's so easy to to just you know fire it up and record something, um, but like like data, you end up getting just so much of it. There's mm -hmm. so much noise that you never go back to it. Right. It's like photos on your phone. You take ten photos of something, and then you're like, Am I ever going to look at this again? Right. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I don't know what no. I don't know what we do, Greg. <laughs> you know, we, we we rock out with our cock out. That's what we do. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That Cut. was a real, real stopper, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, well, here's something I want to talk about. Um, I uh, and I don't think this is just our age. Everyone wants to talk about medical shit now. Like I talk to people and they want to talk. I, and I think it's a result of the COVID mindset. Everyone's talking about whether they've been sick, whether they're not sick. And I said, I said to my friend the other day, I'm like the next time we hang out, because all we did was talk about medical issues. 
I'm like, let's promise each other not to talk about any medical issues. Do you think this is age-based or do you think it's the time in history that we're in, Steve? Go. Uh, I think it's a combination, a lethal combination of the two. Got it. Yeah, I think I think younger people are, uh, well, who knows? Are they talking about COVID-related uh, symptoms, et cetera, et cetera? But yeah, with us, it's just a double whammy. But no, you don't want to... <laughs> You don't want to talk about that stuff. No. I mean, you want to you want to acknowledge it, but you know, it's just you know, it's like I think HIPAA should ex- extend to friends, right? Where you just <laughs> I agree. I'm I'm sorry you can't ask me that. It's just sorry, legally you ask, can't ask me that question. Don't ask. Don't tell. <laughs> sorry, I know I limped over here, but don't ask me why. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's extremely personal. Well, you know, in California and probably <laughs> elsewhere, like if, uh, if for example, uh, you're interviewing for a job and uh, a woman happens to be pregnant, you're not allowed to mention it. Little right. fact. That's that's very interesting. If a woman, if the if the pregnant woman mentions it, you're allowed to then ask a follow up, but you can't yeah. say you couldn't say something in a professional job interview along the lines of, "So, uh, who's the father?" <laughs> Well, yeah. So are, is, this, I mean, is, this, is this in wedlock or out of wedlock? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that's if you're asking those questions in general, even with great friends. Yeah, that that's, right. uh, yeah, that's, it, it will lead to interesting follow-ups. Well, I think too, because of this tick thing, I've, I've, I've found myself in more situations where I need to talk about my health. I've never been that person. Uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, over the holiday, I was, I was at a relative's house. I had to bring my own food. I was never that person. I had to, then you bring their own food and like, you're trying to stealthily like eat your little meal and everyone's having the thing. And then pretty soon one person, you know, there's 50 people there. They're like, Oh, you're, you seem to have brought your own food. And then it's just <laughs> like a game of telephone down, down, down the aisle. And then pretty yes. soon, you know, you're, you're, you're confessing your innermost, uh, you know, blood tests. And it's very interesting. Right. So. Yeah, and just you know to to point out that y- you being on on video here, it's it, it's a it's a tick. It's the insect tick. So right, not, I'm not sure my just eyeball. right just within that com- dinner conversation, you you know he has a tick. It's uh, you have to just, let it go. He has you, a tick. If you if you stare at him long enough, you'll see it. You'll see. It. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, well, I did. I I wanted to talk about this uh, Joe Walsh album. Uh, yeah. as part of our podcast. And now I bought a few Joe Walsh albums at a wonderful little uh, record store, which I think I told you about in Palm Springs mm. uh, called, uh, I think it's called Glee. Glee. Wait, let me look. It's hold on. All right. It's, I've got it somewhere. Here it is. Hold on. Here's their logo. Nope, not their logo. I, I believe it's called Glee and I apologize if it's not, but mm-hmm. it's a little coffee shop record store. Uh, and I was so excited. I bought a bunch of Joe Walsh records. Yeah. There. Yep. Uh, the first thing I want to say is uh, on this record, which those of you that don't know what I'm holding up, it's called The Smoker You Drink, The Player You Get uh, from 1973. Joe Walsh. Great Side record. one, first track, Rocky Mountain Way. Mm-hmm. Talk box, amazing riff, six minutes long. I grew up yeah. in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This was on the radio all the time. Right. Minneapolis was Minneapolis a big fan? Yes. Yes. Recently? And that's yes. And that's a song, a great song that classic rock, you know, may have ruined, but right. it's still a great song and a great song to come back to. Well, what I wanted to say about this particular pressing, which is the original 
ABC pressing is uh, track one does not play. Uh, it, it skips right to the middle of the song. It will not, the needle will not stay down. And at first I was very angry about it, Steve, but then I realized, do I really need to see rock uh, hear Rocky mountain way? So it's kind of, how long is Rocky mountain way? I think it's six, six something. It's a long song and you know where it's going. So I think that's doing I, you a favor. I mean, hold on. It's uh hold on. I have it right here. 514, which is still pretty long for a single. That's actually maybe a really good technique to use on songs like that, where you just take some sort of a, a, a metal all and just scratch the top. The yeah, first track. Just, yeah, cut to the cut to the next. Well, on side two is a song called "Days Gone By," which was also a big hit in Pittsburgh regionally. Great song, uh, and that song plays wonderfully. Um, but anyway, I think my question I have for you around this is, and I like to ask everyone I can this: Why do the Eagles suck so bad even after Joe Walsh joined? Uh, well, I mean that you've led the question. Um, and I, I think, I think you're an Eagles fan. Are you an Eagles fan? (laughs) I think Eagles greatest hits is still maybe one of the biggest selling records ever. That's not the question. You're dodging the question. Maybe it's long run or whatever. Um, I, I I have a pick. You need to pick a line in the sand on this podcast, sir. I do not have a problem. Hotel California. I think worst song ever written. uh, I agree. The record has some interesting work uh i have to separate joe walsh from the eagles you because do. joe walsh on his own Can i do just no i love joe walsh oh, i love same. his irreverence his guitar playing his goofy voice that just yep. works so well yep. um but seriously folks is is i think one of the greatest records out there so you asked about uh, the Eagles. I think, again, right. separating the Eagles with Joe Walsh right. is right. survival. You have to. Yeah. I love, well, Joe, I'm, I'm yeah. a fan of Joe Walsh. I, I'm, I'm going to wave the flag. Did I wave the flag? If I haven't waved the flag, um, no, I'm I, going to right now. Joe I'm Walsh waving is, the flag for Joe Walsh. I think that's why I'm saying, like, I understand the financial reasons. Uh, I just think it's interesting that he joined the Eagles. And I get it. It's, I guess, yeah. Financial. Was it financial? It I, I, it I mean, maybe, maybe it was. Yeah, yeah. Because he was. Well, we could sit and talk about Joe Walsh all night. He joined as a right. Life's been good. Had just come out, and he was joining the Eagles. So, um, I think that was that was his entrance yeah. into the Eagles. And that was like, well, I think what's interesting is in a similar way, and I don't want to make too many comparisons, but it's like when Hagar joined Van Halen because Hagar was on the top of his solo game. He had just sure. the biggest record of his life. DOA, uh, which contained the hit, uh, or VOA, which contained the hit. I can't drive 55. <laughs> right. <laughs> Walsh and Hagar should form a super group. Just, Yeah. Just how, just, you know, Hagar. talk about a rebel. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's, um, you know, if you want to go there, we've talked about that before. Um, Diamond Dave. I mean, they, they're Van two Hale different bands. Sort of I think they're two different to, bands. You know, I think. I think that, um, I think that okay. it, we do have a, you and I have a slight age gap, and I think I'm just, right. And I think those it's four like months. four months. I think there's a huge. I think I was able to accept Sammy Hagar, uh, and you you were not. Right. 
Well, well see, okay. Montrose. Talk a little Montrose. <laughs> Rock candy. <laughs> Heavy metal. Uh, yeah. Hey, I was in Montrose. Different deal altogether. No, it's uh, it's very interesting, yes. And, and I think, um, I mean, what are you going to do? Shut the band down? They needed a, a lead singer. Yeah. There was Sammy. Look, so grab. Him, I can still go. sing. Why can't this be love? Very quickly. I know all those lyrics, and I, I do think fifty one fifty as a new record by a band on top of its game with a new singer, much like ACDC and Back in Black. I do think it is a successful record. Um. Hmm. Yeah. I know your favorite. I one of your favorite yeah. records, if not the favorite record is uh oh, vh it could be my third favorite record. record actually no, women and children first i believe it could be could be women my all-time favorite first. record yeah. i do love that record um the sound of that record in particular sounds Ugh. great yeah templeton yep ted templeman is that, is that the name i mean you know i no, i read i am reading this book called eruption which is all interviews by uh brad talinsky who was the editor of guitar world uh, with or guitar for the playing musician, one of the mm-hmm. two, with Eddie Van Halen, and I have it by my bedside, and you know, along with like the gloom and doom of you know the COVID book I'm reading, and then the book I'm reading about uh, you know climate change. I like to just pepper it with these amazing interviews with Eddie Van Halen, who, as much as he was an innovator and a and a genius musically, he's he's just like a Zen authorian. He doesn't understand how Zen he is. He just says this crazy shit, and you're like. Mm-hmm. My God, you're just like this accidental guru, you know? Yeah. And he, right. he may have no idea, but you know, and that's, right. it's the minutia, the level of minutia that, that they're dealing with and that, you know, in whatever endeavor, that's sort of where the magic is, I think. And, you know, you've got, um, you've got Eddie using, uh, what do you call him? Uh, right. you know, uh, the very act reostats, uh, what's I've, Variax to literally bring the voltage down out of, you know, the electricity coming out of the wall so yep. that the amp is just barely hanging on. And so, you know, that's, that's, uh, and that's just the, the beginning of, you know, what, what people are doing in, in these situations and that it's just fun. And that's, I, I think reading about that, experiencing it. I mean, that's the depth of anything I think is again, where the magic is. Limited knowledge. I want to ask you before I forget, because I will. As as a, I want to. I I think you are a part of what I call the core Minneapolis rock and roll scene. You were friends with all. You were in the band with people. I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to name drop. But you are uh, part of what I look at as much like kind of DC hardcore. I look at Minneapolis. Like those two 80s, 90s scenes were sort of unsung in some ways, as far as the major impact they had on melodic rock and roll. And mm-hmm. I want to talk to you just a little about, you know, at this point and 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 having seen so much, like, do you feel that history? Like, do you feel, you know, the the impact that, you know, Minneapolis had, and I'm not talking about Prince and Janet Jackson, although and and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. I just watched the Janet Jackson uh bio which is great mm. have you watched it yet i have not oh you're, you're gonna want to watch that it's great a lot of it they, they film a lot of it in minneapolis it's super good uh with flight flight time yeah yeah um but i'm just curious like you know uh with a little retrospect 
how does it feel to be a part of something that is so, uh, to me, important to American music? Well, um, you know, so much of at least kind of my history, um, you know, it just goes back so far now. And it's interesting how a fairly short amount of time can impact a life, you know, or, or at least the story. Yeah. Um, but ironically, I missed the golden age of Minneapolis sort of, you know, uh, you know, the, the scene, um, you know, post, you know, punk. Well, let's just say, um, you know, the, the replacements, Husker do, you know, they're, they're starting to hit their stride, um, kind of, you know, you know, what would it be? Late seventies, right? Early eighties. So I'm graduating from high school. I, I leave in 82 and I return in 89 back from school, you know, right. in Colorado. And when you look at sort of the, the scene, the, 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 the focused, um, sort of rock scene, it, you know, you'll see that it's like 82 to 89. So in one sense, I missed the whole thing, but, um, and, you know, being introduced to a lot of the Minneapolis music by, uh, you know, a, a friend out of Chicago. Um, so it was interesting in that way, but, um, you know, so I'm not, uh, you know, I, I experienced it in a sense secondhand. I, I leveraged some of the, um, the work that others had done before, you know, joining a band that, that had, you know, someone that had, you know, some legacy, et cetera. But, yeah. um, I think, you know, yeah, the history is, it's, it's amazing. It's, you know, a, a lot of those bands are still, um, you know, some of them are still coming around and, yeah. and I, you know, you do know, you get to know those people and you, you, um, you know, their, their mark on music, you know, their influences on, um, the bands that ended up you know, doing tremendously better than they ever did. Um, <laughs> right. You know, it's, it, it, that's, that's interesting, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I handed ball bags, you know, my, my, um, my son Harris was playing, playing baseball and I, I would, uh, you know, Paul Westerberg was the third base. He was the coach of the team, which is always amazing. So <laughs> I love that. Story. He, his, uh, his son and my son were, the same year, maybe maybe a year apart, and so you'd run into Westerberg in just these crazy situations, and you'd be hanging, you know, I'd be, yeah, handing a, a ball bag off to Paul, and, and it just, you know, kind of kind of goofy, silly memories, but um, yes, I I think uh, I've been happy to play with a lot of great people in town, and and again, a lot of it is so far in the in the distance that now it's just uh, you know they're they're great memories. From my point of view, because I've played with a shit ton of great drummers, there there is a style you have, and I tell people this, not you, but I tell other people this. You have this Minneapolis drumming sound, like this rock and roll, big cymbal, bash the shit out of stuff. And and to me, I, I always call it the Minneapolis rock and roll sound. And I'm thinking of, you know, replacements, Husker Du, um, you know, even the guy from Soul Asylum early on, like there's just mm -hmm. this like way that y'all play that is to me it's it's distinctive. Um, I, I want to say that, and I also want to say I feel like the do that's coming to some of these smaller scenes from the '80s and early '90s. I think it's starting to. I don't know if it's history is starting to be a little more uh, open to like 
you know, everybody, like, let's open this up and say it wasn't, Seattle wasn't the first rock and roll music scene in America. Um, mm-hmm. But it does seem to me, and maybe this is like, you know, Bob Mould still being out there doing his thing or, or the inner, the power of the internet and all these movies and documentaries that are coming out. It feels like people are starting to get more of a reverence for these scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I know I like for me, cause I, I didn't know shit, you know, I was coming out of Pittsburgh. It was, it took me a long time to find out about what was the book. This band could be in your life. And you're like, you right. read about all these like insane uh, scenes that were, that were going on. Do you think that that could ever come back? Boy, it would be so nice if they did. It's, uh, you know, a lot of it was, uh, you know, you could look at real estate as, you know, being in, hmm. at issue here. There was a, a band in, uh, or a, a bar in Minneapolis, uptown, um, uptown Minneapolis called the Uptown Bar. And that, um, that was, you know, a big part of the scene. Of course, uh, the Longhorn, which became First Avenue, just, you know, that whole scene. But um, there's so many clubs everywhere and I, and I don't mean to you know say it the obvious that that just haven't been able to to hack it and yeah. so you now have fewer bars you have a tremendous amount of competition um, with these these you know young bands and just being able to ever see a stage right um, but you know I was just at a at a show uh, you know this last weekend and and it's there's a a young band that was just cool you know and they're yeah. they were you know, they're, they're doing it. So the, the potential to be able to, you know, make music is obviously much easier now and to get, to get, you know, your music out, um, to get played is another thing to get, uh, you know, stage time is, is yet another, but you know, you just, you, you make it, you make it work. Yeah. You, You do what you need to do. Yeah. What's the, uh, what's your best, uh, brush with fame story? It might be the Westerberg story, um, but in multiple Westerberg I th- stories. But I thought you had a Prince story. Don't you have a Prince story? Oh yeah, I, have a, I do. I um, I, so I teed you up do. for that, and then you just. I mean, <laughs> if if Paul Westerberg heard this, I think he'd be pretty excited that that was he won over Prince. But yeah, yeah. Um, well, and you know, I have a, I have a reverence for for each right and just right. how different obviously they are um yeah uh, i was building i was in set design right um, right right and and build and and special effects and stuff back in the day um and just a short aside i you know you talk about focus in a career and things like that my trajectory it was a complete disaster and <laughs> that i was i was going from one thing to the next to the next and it really was this sort of experiential path that you know brought it all together the sound the light the you know yep. the live you know all those things so somehow i was able to with this this uh zigzag you know make something of it but anyway um uh, out at paisley park paisley park you know chan has in minnesota huge complex um, for those that don't know paisley park is prince's recording he built studio and Right. Residents and yada yada yada. Okay. Yep, yep. And there were uh, several studios, rehearsal rooms, um, but a massive soundstage, and yeah. that's where a lot of uh, tours kicked off. Um, and you know, I saw well, just working out there, you just kind of saw some some kind of crazy stuff. Yeah. So, beat the Bee Gees preparing for their final, you know, world tour. Weird, 
weird shit like that. Yeah. But um, we were building this, uh, it was a massive jail uh, for a Prince video. And we worked for probably two and a half weeks on this, you know, it was out in the kind of loading dock area uh, where there was a basketball hoop and, and Prince would, would shoot hoops. Um, and he, uh, we got, we finished this, this jail. He walked in and said, last night I had a dream and the jail wasn't in it. So we then proceeded to take down the <laughs> entire, entire jail. So, you know, that's, there's something pretty lovely about that's not, amazing. Make, not making the dream, but, um, yeah. Wow. Was that the story you were referring to? Yes. I like yeah. that you kind of did his voice too. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> not at all his voice. Uh, there was, you know, a musical moment in my life was, uh, you know, we're working on something, a lot of commercial production out there. So, you know, an, another time I hear all this music down a long hallway and I just kind of slip out and I open a door and it's, a, it's one of the very small sort of production uh, studios. And, and it, it was a full, you know, full rehearsal with, with uh, the new power generation, you know, and MPG. It, I'm, I'm, I'm probably, you know, 20 feet away from Prince who's sitting at a piano and they were just, they were gone. So yeah, those were, that was a, that's uh that's time. Some musical memories there for you. <laughs> well, Steve, is there anything we didn't talk about that we should talk about? Uh, gosh. Um, we've talked about the Slurry Bombers, slurry, just a hell of a band bombs. out of Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to talk about our houses <laughs> near the Canadian border that we both have. I want to leave that to the memory and the imagination of the listener. Yeah, no, that's fine. But you will need to use a plow because there's more snow up there than I've heard. There's there's been in some decades. Time. Great. No, it's. Uh, uh, I think I think we've done a nice job covering some different things. Limited mileage. Well, I like to end every episode with the Grateful Eight with her eight. With, there are eight questions that I just kind of ask you off the cuff, uh, and you know, quickest answer. But you know, we can always edit out the uh, the long pause if you need to think. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for question number one, Steve? Uh, I'm ready. Question number one. Question number one. Me. What is the greatest concert you've ever seen? Wow. Um, I would say my first rock concert which was aerosmith draw the line tour 1978 wow. back in the day and just a, a real quick story is i'd never you know this was a show uh, uh, i had never been in this environment before and there's like m80s going off all over there's explosions there's there's first aid people in white outfits carrying bodies out it was just complete insanity and i absolutely loved it i mean it was just it was life-changing. I need to tell you something because it's very relevant. Uh, I interviewed someone else for this podcast, uh, Brittany. She's amazing. You'll hear her. Uh, it's coming out next week. And uh, she's significantly younger than us. Significantly <laughs> younger than us. And her answer to this question was Aerosmith. Really? Wow. 19, wait, 2017 or something. Huh? It was like... Yeah. But the same, like, just blew her mind. Steven Tyler. I love she it. She said this, and I thought, 
I, I should probably see them because I've never seen them live. And I know you're a huge Aerosmith fan as I've made fun of you about again and again. Yeah. And I, I'll say early Aerosmith, you know, it's yeah. like rhythm and blues. No, you know, I get it. it. I get it. But yeah, if, if she was turned on by a 2017 love like Twenty to maybe God 20 a little her. earlier, but yeah. 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 Second question, Steve, are you ready for the second Go. question of the grateful eight? What is the mm. best meal you've ever had? Hmm. Ah, uh, boy. Pass. Come back. All right. We'll we'll come back to question two. Steve does not want to think about his taste buds right now. <laughs> mouth feel. <laughs> What's your mouth feel on that? You know, that, that could go either way. Question three. Uh, what is the greatest moment you've ever had uh, in your artistic career? Wow. Um, that's probably um, related to this band I was in. Um, uh, it, and, you know, Nova Mob. Okay. I, I, um, I auditioned, I got the gig, and, and I, I liked how I knew I got the gig. And it was basically being told to um, walking into a, a room with many, many drum kits and being asked which one I wanted to take to Europe. Wow. And this is Nova Mob with... Grant Hart. Grant Hart, who was the drummer of Husker Du. I, I love to brag about you to people that you were the only, only man that could drum behind Grant Hart. I don't know if that's true, uh, or not, but I tell people that. I wasn't, and uh, <laughs> God bless his soul, RIP, uh, and it, it it's hard to drum behind a drummer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Taylor Hawkins has uh, a lot of interviews about that. Right. You and Taylor Hawkins have a lot in common. Yeah, no, we should hang. <laughs> you know what you guys you guys should hang uh okay uh favorite desert island all-time album microphone. album okay microphone <laughs> what what is the if you could only have one microphone in your collection what would it be sm57 wow you're going with the 57 <laughs> Or are you just doing that cause? No, you, no, I think you kind of have to. I mean, it, it, for the value, you get a lot of bang for your buck out of that one. Thank you. I agree. Yes, absolutely. I'm, I might go with a beta 58. It's got a little slightly higher lift. Yeah. And you're younger. Betas <laughs> weren't around. <laughs> if, okay. Beta. The, the, <laughs> beta. <laughs> <laughs> the wine's kicking in, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right, question question five. Wait, it, well, you, that last question had a different ending. Well, I can I, I, question five. I'm going to. Well, it. I was going to ask you your favorite all time book slash movie slash television show. Oh, that's the normal question, which okay. I'll let you answer as a as a tributary. Okay, it's just one piece of media uh, that mm -hmm. you that you would say is your favorite thing of all time. Wow. Those are, uh, and it could be a, an audio. Sure. Record. Yeah. Boy, that's, for some reason, these, you know, they shouldn't be difficult questions. But right. um, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Great book. book. Great book. Never made a movie out of it, did they? Almost. Didn't happen. Who was going to be in it? Brad Pitt. 
I don't know. Tom Cruise. Take one of the my, two. Take my Zen away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's bad. Question, question six. If you could go back in time 20 years, what advice would you give yourself? Don't sweat the whatever that <laughs> the small stuff. Ah, <laughs> uh, gosh, twenty years. Twenty years. Um, I think just to you know, honestly, don't sweat it so much. Yeah, you know, just yeah. kind of just just go with it and know that it's all gonna it's all gonna be okay. You know, it all finds its way. I agree. Question seven. If you were in charge, if if all if all people were alive, if everyone was alive, if all people if were alive, all people I'm about to discuss <laughs> were alive, okay, and you had to choose one singer, mm. would it be Bon Scott <laughs> or Brian Johnson? <laughs> bon Scott. I'm going to go with Bon Scott. But what's the what's the reason for that? Because you know, arguably. Johnson's the better singer. Uh, you know, OG. Just because. He's the original yeah. guy. Well, I mean... He's also the dead one. I, I credit to both of them. I mean, it was just unhinged. Just, uh, you know, how fun to just be able to do what they were doing. Right. But, but yeah, I'll, I'll give it to the first up. Okay, I have an addendum to that question. Okay. Same, same question, <laughs> different scenario. All things, all things equal. <laughs> okay. All things, all things equal. You have to choose one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. Are you sure? I think so. Keith Moon or Kenny Jones? I mean, come on. I'm not <laughs> even going to answer that. <laughs> That's, uh, I think that's uh, violates HIPAA. I think, <laughs> we're back in a HIPAA violation. This is where the podcast becomes really niche, like like really niche, like the most niche. Yeah, the most the most niche it could be. Yeah, no, the one just should have never happened. <sighs> well, since we talked about Hagar and David Lee Roth, it felt yeah, it felt like yeah. a normal, right, normal path. How about you? I mean, what what do you think? On Bon Scott, on Keith. I, I actually think so. I think Brian Johnson is the superior singer of ACDC, and I, and I know I get I get shit for that. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, you think Sammy Hagar's the superior Van Halen singer? <laughs> well, I too. think he's. Well, if we're talking about singer, absolutely showman. No, no contest. Uh, but I, I okay. So here's where it gets interesting. If you look at, and this is a great. I, this is what I call the. <laughs> the <laughs> The, the 90210, wait, the 90125 quandary, as, as, as we people speak of. Right. If 90215, wait, 90125 by yes hadn't come out, would I have ever heard Heart of the Sunrise? Would I have ever heard Roundabout? Would you ever bought the album Tomato? Tomato, would I have killed the whale? So, so <laughs> what you have to say is in these situations... If I hadn't heard Back in Black, would I've ever listened to the Girls Got Rhythm? You know, I don't know. I don't know. Right. Well, and it's, I just, it's so fun to go back and right. to listen, you know, let's just keep talking about 
you know, music and production and, you know, Templeman and Jack Douglas with oh. Aerosmith. Oh, so good. You know, you can, you can, you can dig into the snare drum sound. Yeah. Like you, you hear a, snare, uh, a Jack Douglas snare drum sound, Aerosmith, for yep. example. Yep. Templeman, uh, uh, Alex. Yep. Um, and I mean, it's, there's magic there. There's, yep. you know, so. So, uh, where am I going with this? I don't know, except that... Well, but here's my point. My point is... The details matter. (laughs) Well, I think when these bands keep going, there's new generations. For me in the 80s, it was Yes. Like, I didn't get into old Yes till I heard new Yes, and then I dug backwards. It's like when Stone Temple Pilots go on tour with their new singer, who he's absolutely great. His name's Jeff something. I forget his name. I don't care. Mm -hmm. But you listen to this guy and you're like, okay, he's there's something about him that makes you want to dig into those songs. And then you get to go back and you get to go through the, you know, the the catalog of of, of a great band. So Well, and that's that's maybe, you know, uh the benefit of uh or or the marketing play and that they're trying to remind you that, you know, this is right just a reminder to go back because um, you know, it's talk about uh, you know, the band wants to play. They want right. to, they want to continue on. It's a different deal. Um, and you know, is it, is it, is it wrong? It's just different, but it, but it is interesting. I mean, well, like journey, they're on tour right now. Right. Toto's opening up for them. Neither of the bands have the original lead singer. Yeah. I don't think people care that much. They want to hear the songs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's, you know, I think, I don't know. I could say I think you should care. I think you should be aware of the difference. Um, I don't but, think, I, but you and I would be. But I don't think most people. No, I think you're right. You know, I think if 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 most people hear Journey's coming, they're going to go, and it could be a bunch of I don't know robots up there, and they're going to be screaming at "Don't stop believing." I think that's that is right. the place that Journey has now. Steve Miller band couldn't do that because guess what? His name is Steve Miller. It would be right. weird if someone not Steve Miller showed up to sing Steve Miller songs. We went to Red Rocks. Yes. Um, not we. I don't think you were there. You should have been there. Who was it? Um, it was ABBA. It was the music of ABBA. Oh, was it by that Re- Re- Reba or whatever, the the authorized tribute band? E- e- yes. And, and they it were was probably amazing. Amazing. Yeah, and it I've was epic. Them. And And we were getting in trouble because we were just saying, my God, I can't believe we're seeing ABBA. This is the most amazing thing. And people were getting really upset because I think they thought we were sort of, you know, mocking the fact that this wasn't uh, the real ABBA, but it wasn't the real ABBA. So I don't know. It's, uh, uh, yeah, it, you know, it's, then you start to look at sort of the commodity of it and the sort of, money music business side of things and you just realize of course they need to they need to pay the bills right and at the end of the day if people are feeling something and this is the argument you can get into does it matter like Uh, when i go see craft work on this tour and none of there's who knows there might not be any real people up there it might just be all 3d video (laughs) uh am i gonna care if you know man machine starts and my the goosebumps on the back of my neck and everything no that that happens anyway you're right. You're right. You know? Yeah. So why? I guess my point is, why do we care, Steve? Why do we care about authenticity so much? Right. Why do we need a Desert Island mic? We, it's, everything's been mic'd just, by now. Just use just a, use pull a plug it in. Pull it into the garage band. Yep. Pull it into the garage band. 
and there's there isn't a problem with that and that's that's you know we could we could we could talk let's not end this podcast i'm i'm here i'm in i'm in it to win it i have 13 percent <laughs> left on my battery on my laptop <laughs> plenty of time <laughs> i think so here's the thing and i i, I want to go on to this for a little bit because like i one of the things that has sustained me live in the last years is and i wouldn't say it's my age but I'm a throwback now. When I go play a club and there's all these young bands and I get up there, people pay attention to me because I'm old. Like I'm an old dude and I'm just still doing it. And there's no, I don't have a pedal that adds harmony to my voice. We don't, we're not playing to a click track. There's no laptop on stage. It's like guitar based drums. And people are so, it's like, what? This is fresh. You know, yeah. it's, it's crazy. It's like this, it's like this weird, like just keep doing what you do and don't worry. And yeah. maybe maybe Kraftwerk was always designed to not be on stage. You know, maybe Daft Punk was always designed right? to have helmets on so they don't have to show up. They press a button. Yeah. Yeah, and you talked about, you know, the will the scenes like, say, the 80s, 70s, 80s of whatever city. Yeah, yeah. Um, using Minneapolis as the example. Will that ever happen again? I mean, I think, you know, guitars. You're starting to hear more guitars in sort of this... Um, you know, the hip hop thing, yeah. the, um, you know, more of the modern, modern pop that's coming out, which is in my, you know, I think it's super refreshing to hear. So I think, uh, you know, that's going to be interesting that you have a lot of people that are working in that genre that haven't necessarily come up through, right. um, you know, learned instrumentation, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think, uh, you know, the rawness of the past, um, could probably be the savior of some of the stuff that's coming out now. Uh, yeah, and uh, I mean, I'm I'm as much of a victim of that. I don't know, victim's the word, but I'm still hearing new music thanks to things like like Spotify. I'll put on some music uh, on Spotify, and then it goes off, and the yeah. algorithms find these old songs. Right, like I heard a song the other day by Crazy Horse, which was, and I didn't know this. Crazy Horse before Neil Young joined Crazy Horse, Neil Young and Crazy Horse. And this right. song, it was Niles Lofgren sang this song. Yeah. And it blew my mind. And I ran to my phone because it was just on. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And it could have been recorded by a bunch of kids down the street, you know? But it was from yeah. 19, whatever, 68 or whatever it was. Right, And that to me is where technology wins because technology is bringing this weird, like, oh, you like this, then you'll like this. And it's throwing back in a way that even people like me who think I've heard it all, I'm turned on to something old again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's just, you know, we, we have talked a lot about older music and, you know, the affinity with it, but there's so much incredible music coming out you mm -hmm. know and you know not surprisingly but within all genres i mean from yep. you know soundcloud rap to you know whatever there's you know just so many interesting things um happening it keeps moving and i i sort of love all of it if if there's in you know kind of the intention and yep. and uh you know there's there's some threads of groove uh yep. you know yeah. Groove is good. Groove is in Gro the heart. Groove is. Steve, I'm going to ask you the last question, and I hope you're ready for the last question, the eighth question, the Grateful Eight, eighth mm. question. Mm -hmm. And that question is this. If you could have one superpower, 
what would it be? It'd be fun to fly. What would you do if you flew? If you could fly, where would you go? I don't know. Um, I would come visit you. <laughs> You'd be like, get me somewhere a little warmer than 14 degrees. <laughs> it's now 11. Hey, it's been cold here. It went down to the 30 last night or two nights ago. We had That's, frost everywhere. It's all relative. Very unusual. Yes. Well, Steve, I appreciate that you took the time to do this. This is, uh, I knew it would be exciting and fun, and it was. Um, I think that, uh, I think we still have a record in us that we haven't made. Like, we keep making half half attempts. Yeah. So I'm hoping that the, the record finally materializes. I've, I personally have started a publishing company. Uh, so I'm ready. I'm ready to really. Let's publish. Let's publish. Let's get some shit out there into the world. Yes, uh, I always look forward to playing with Greg Hoy. Well, it's always fun. We always have a lot of fun. And uh, I always love playing your drums because you have that weird thing where I feel the kick drum on my butt. It's like a, what's it called? It's called the uh, the butt kicker. The butt kick? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Wait, do, and you got your new kit, right? You got a new drum kit? I did. I'll talk about the drum kit. <laughs> what? Well, because your Ludwig <laughs> kit was amazing. Yes. It is amazing. 79. It was, it was the so workhorse the, for a long time. Yeah. No, this is my uh, fourth kit and the first kit I paid for. <laughs> so, the rest have been trades or given to you? Yeah. Yep. So that's 79. Uh, no, no, no. Sorry. 71. Uh, that Ludwig kit. Um, yeah, it was, was free. I've got my dad's kit. Old right. Rog, Rogers Holiday, 65, 66. Wow. And then, um, what's the other one? Tama, actually, uh, an old Tama Imperial star played by Lars, that was Lars and Stuart Copeland. Um, I came home, just a, a quick little story. Love it. My, my dad's a drummer, and I would, uh, you know, he was jazzing it up, and he had the tight heads, um, and then I would take the heads off, put socks across them and tune them way down for when I would practice and, and play live. And at one point my dad, uh, bought me my own kit. So that was, I was probably, uh, I was a sophomore in high school. Wow. And so that was, um, a kit that, that I played forever and ever until I realized I had a incredible Ludwig, uh, set that was at a friend's house in the basement, uh, with spider webs and. Uh, but yes, this new drum kit. Thanks for asking, Greg. Yeah. Um, Noble and Cooley. Noble and uh, Cooley. And they're a newer drum kit company, right? They're so new that they were uh, they made drums for the Union Army, Greg. Um, nine, and by uh, that, I mean a newer one to your basement. <laughs> correct. Yes. 1854. Right. Exactly. Was... I'm sorry. <laughs> when, when you're talking drums, I like to go back to the 16th century. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I had a, uh, they, I mean, literally they made drums for the Union Army. Well, and can we support that? I don't know. Yes. Is and thanks okay? to, uh, are we okay now supporting that? The wonderful, uh, yeah, I don't know. I should think about that. You can edit that out. Is that Milo? <laughs> it is. Hi, Milo. And now Milo, Louie. Louie. Louie, uh, yes. Hi. Sorry, Louie. Uh, yeah. So have you seen that kit? Yeah, you sent me many pictures as you were buying it. You haven't seen it live. No, but I'll see it in a couple of weeks when I'm there yeah. to visit. No, it's 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 been fun. Larger sizes, Greg. Well, you know what they say. Yes, they do. Steve, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. 
it's been fun. Yes. And I'm, I'm very excited about your semi-new business inve- adventures. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so thank I don't you. drink that much anymore. I'm drunk off two drinks. <laughs> and I'll see you in a couple weeks. Sounds great. Can't wait to see you <laughs> and the family. Yes. Awesome. Steve Sutherland, ladies and gentlemen, a favorite human of mine. And maybe soon to be one of yours. Uh, again, crazy that we talked about Taylor Hawkins um, and how much we both admired and wanted to meet him. Again, uh, stay communicative and don't do the wrong drugs, people. It's not worth it. Uh, this is limitedmileage.com. Subscribe at the Apple or Spotify wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, if you made it this far, you are a, a wonderful human being. And even if you didn't, even those that didn't. Limited mileage.